I am Dr. Manoj Krishna, the founder of the Human Wisdom Project and the Happier Me app, and welcome to this edition of Happier Me Live. And today we're going to be talking about something that's really vital for all of us, which is how do we resolve our conflicts and live in peace? I'm joined today by guests from around the world, and I'm going to have a conversation with Sakshi Singla, who is a relationship and family coach based in New Delhi in India. So Sakshi, welcome. Happy to be here, Manoj. And so Sakshi, let's ask the first question, which is, why bother? Why should we bother exploring this question of resolving conflict? Because it's everywhere. There's a conflict in relationships, in organizations, in countries. What's happening in the world is quite a testament to that. Yes. Uh, more than half the relationships today are in conflict. Their um, organizations, their productivity is hit quite a lot because of the interpersonal conflicts. Uh, they say 20% of marriages are abusive because of conflict. And that's uh, that's not the number which we know is true. It might be double. You're a family coach. And do you think it's more than 20% of marriages are abusive? Uh, a lot more. But I would say it's not um, that the conflicts in marriages are the big culprit. I think conflict with one's own self, conflict in relationships around, uh, not just partnerships are all there. And actually having a conflict is quite healthy. If you don't have a conflict, you also don't have a chance to bond. Uh, but the problem is that if it makes uh, one person subjugate and one person um, always being on the top, then it becomes an abusive relationship. And that I see a lot. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, and, so... And in the last century, we humans killed 200 million of our own. We regard ourselves as intelligent, but that's clearly not intelligent. In the last year, 238,000 humans were killed by other humans. And of course, um, we all want to be happy and live in peace, but you know, our mind is not allowing us to do that. So what we're going to be doing in today's conversation is exploring What's going on in the depths of our own mind that is the root of conflict between human beings? And whether it's two people or two groups or two countries, the roots of it are the same. And I hope through this exploration, we can come upon some practical tips that we can then offer of how to avoid and resolve conflicts going forward. Okay, let's start with conditioning, Sakshi. How does conditioning, what is conditioning, first of all, and what role do you think it plays in conflict? Conditioning is all that we've been and what we've seen, how we've been parented, how we've, what is the environment that we've lived with, um, what are the values that we've uh, grown up with, all together, uh, put together, it's conditioning. And it's also something which we feel very attached to because we feel, um, I'm right, and, and my conditioning uh, has, has been with me forever, and it's very easy for me to get attached to it. Um, the problem is that each person is conditioned differently. Yes. Uh, different religions would bring different kinds of conditioning, even in from your house to mine, how I was parented and how you were parented. 
um, what are the rituals that I saw at home and what you saw at home um, put together is our conditioning. The problem is that when we come together, I have no idea about how you've uh, been brought up or what are the baggages you're carrying or the kind of conditioning that you have and you don't know about mine. And that difference brings the conflict. Yes. A simple example is, say I grew up in a house where my mother did all the cooking growing up. I get married and then I expect my wife to do all the cooking. And if she doesn't, then I think something's wrong with her. <laughs> See? And then, of course, there's all this conflict, you know. And only when I wake up and question, first of all, realize I've been conditioned and begin to question it, then I can see, well, it doesn't make any sense for one gender or one person to do all the cooking, for example. It's a simple example. But it's only when you become aware and question your own conditioning that you can be free of it, you see. Otherwise, as you said, our conditioning is unconscious. We're not aware we're being conditioned, and yet we become attached to it, right? We become attached to our opinions, our beliefs, our habits, how we do things, what we expect from other people. And maybe that's the root of conflict. I want you to be like me. You want me to be like you. And there we go. Right. It's also very beautiful because if I did not, if we were not conditioned differently, we wouldn't grow as people as well. It's it's because I you, you are maybe married to somebody who comes from a more gender equal home. Uh, for her, this is a given, uh, something that she takes for granted. And the fact that you are with her, you see this another way of living, which wasn't possible uh, in your own household with something which unconsciously you picked up, right? Yes, yes. So you said something beautiful there, which is that conflict is an opportunity for learning about our own conditioning influences. If we take that opportunity, but most of the time we don't, we're just trying to force the other person to be like us, to make us feel more comfortable. And it's in that, con so if we use conflict as a place for learning and growing, you're right, it's a beautiful thing. But when it's just used for pressure and force and all that, then you subjugate people and that's when relationships break up, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I yeah. think social media has a huge role to play in this as well today, because um, if you are uh, following um, the kind of social media that works with your conditioning, uh, you do not have the space to look at what uh, the other side of the coin could be. And yeah. I think that uh, is why there is so much of um, attaching ourselves to uh, what we think right because we also find thousands of other people agreeing with our kind of conditioning yes so practically say if i'm a republican my feed social media feed john d will tell us more about this uh, is full of uh, all the things that i believe in already and i nobody challenges each other and if i'm a democrat it's the other way around or if i'm a right-wing person left it doesn't matter which group i'm part of I gradually start getting conditioned to, to think that the other group is wrong and I'm right. And that just increases all our divisions, doesn't it, Sankshi? In, in, in... 
I think it's the easiest to, to break in relationships and partnerships because very often we are not marrying in the same um, community anymore like we used to do earlier. And that's where I think we are able to challenge each other's conditioning and become more self-aware, uh, which is so difficult to do on social media, I feel. And unrelated perhaps, but uh, sorry, not linked to conflict, but I was reading today young people are increasingly struggling to find partners in the dating world. Because when you meet somebody who's different, immediately you feel there's, you know, you're looking for someone exactly like you. And of course, you'll never find somebody exactly like you, right? You know, and that's, so that's why lots of young people who go on to dating apps are struggling because they're trying to find someone exactly like them and that's not working out, so, okay. So conditioning now leads to identity, Sakshi, and that can also contribute to conflict. Do you want to speak about that? Yes, um, but identity is one of the most important, I and mean, it is the most important thing for anybody, for you, me, um, a community. Um, the problem is that, uh, again, because we are so attached to our own identity, it's difficult to see or accept uh, a different um, identity. Everybody is um, put together. If we are similar, we will feel threatened collectively or feel hurt uh, by people who do not uh, are, are not like us. And like you said earlier, we would like to be uh, connected to people more uh, who are like us. And we and that never happens. That's really a trap both in relationships and otherwise, right? So my conditioning then makes me Israeli or Palestinian or Russian or Ukrainian or Indian or Pakistani or in Hindu or Muslim or, and goes on Republican, Democrat. And identities serve our deepest needs for feeling secure, feeling like we belong to a group, feeling comforted. And we don't see the other side of the coin that our identities also divide us from other human beings, right? And if somebody with my identity a hundred or a thousand miles away gets affected by something, I feel as if I'm being personally attacked. Right? And so I feel, oh, I need to also attack people. And that's, you can see that you know, in demonstrations around the world now based on the conflicts in the Middle East. And of course, if somebody in a position of power with the identity that I have, say I'm British or Indian or whatever, and the leader or my religion says, do this, I will do it without thinking. I won't question it. I used to ask, you know, children are so beautiful when I work in schools with them. I said, this 10-year-old girl, I said, if the leader of your religion tells you to do something, will you do it without thinking or will you stop and ask a question? She said, I'll do it without thinking. I said, why? You know what she said? She said, nobody has asked me that question before. <laughs> so that's just the nature of identity, right? That's what identity does to us. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I have another take on this, um, Manoj. We do not question authority. That's what we learned when we were a child. Mm. That's what we were told. So if we spoke back or we 
didn't obey or we didn't, we, we questioned, uh, we were being disrespectful. And that's a huge problem. Yes. If we are not questioning, we are, we are not tolerant as well. If we are, and, and that is a problem because any authority figure for that matter, it may be your parent, your boss in the office, or this religious leader, you're, if you are going to not question and um, just agree with whatever they've asked you to do, then there's no thinking involved. Yes. Well, we're never taught, you see, throughout our education to question ourselves even, or to ask any questions, you know? Oh, yeah. We're not taught to question, why do I think this way? Why do I feel this way? What's the root cause of conflict? Um, and so on. So this ability to question ourselves and others is at the heart of the um, of what we're talking about, right? The whole human wisdom approach is based around this ability to ask questions. Okay, so we've explored identity. Let's talk about hurt, because conflict is often kept alive by our memories of being hurt by others. Biggest one, I think, because if we are hurt, uh, they say hurt people hurt others. Um, whatever baggage that we are carrying, um, either in our personal relationships or um, even, even in the conflicts between the countries, it's easy to subjugate, it's easy to um, look at that authority figure and say yes, when I've been hurt before, or my community's been hurt before, or my grandmother was part of the Holocaust, or my um, somewhere down the generation, I've learned those stories of um, hurt, which was given or provided by the other side. Um, and, and that's why I think it's so easy to kill uh, another community or another uh, religious um, community because you feel, you, you remember your own hurt. And we are very attached to our own selves, right? We, yes. for us, yes. um, our family, uh, if they've got hurt, then we somehow feel uh, it's okay to hurt other people. It's, it's how this works, I guess. It's the world works, right? People who had lived next to each other in Yugoslavia or in the partition of India for decades, and suddenly when the conflicts began, the divisions were on, you know, these lines of identity and people started killing each other. In the partition of India, I don't know how many millions of people died, but the same, same pattern occurred in Yugoslavia, in Rwanda, and, you know, the Hutus, Tutsis, etc. So I carry the memories, not just of you hurting me, but of all the memories of my community being hurt by other people. So it may not be personal to me, but my community, that what I'm attached to, my identity, that group has been hurt. And there's a history of conflict. So, of course, hurt leads to anger. Anger leads to violence. And it's always justified, right? Right now in the Middle East, every group justifies their violence towards other human beings. Or in Russia, Ukraine, it's the same thing. It's no different. Yeah, everywhere. It doesn't matter then if there are 1,500 Israeli dead or 8,000 Palestinians. 
then. We've, we've got this perception of injustice that happened to us. Yes. And, and we just stay with that. And I think this is um, also there in uh, interpersonal relationships, in marriages, in, yes. in friendships, wherever there is conflict. I think it, it, this one is the big one. We, we don't want to be in a place of injustice. Yes. So imagine a timeline, say in a marriage between two people, and there's a cycle of action, reaction, action, reaction, hurt, anger, violence, hurt, anger, violence. And then we're 20 years into this relationship. And when we start talking, you will remember all the times you were hurt and talk about that. And I will remember all the times I was hurt, but I'll never remember the times I hurt you. Yeah. You won't remember the times you hurt me. You see what I mean? So it requires real wisdom to, real, to see that unless somebody breaks this cycle of action-reaction, this is going to keep affecting generations to come. People 30 years from now, we haven't even met, are going to die because I today haven't broken this cycle of violence in, my, you know, in the times I'm living in, right? Oh, yeah, and it always repeats. The generational patterns keep carrying on till somebody actually gets up and says that it has to end here. Yeah. Um, we can only do that if we are aware. Uh, yes. Where is it coming from? And so many times we are not aware. And I think it also happens um, because we um, also have learned something which has hurt the entire world, which is emotional suppression. So we suppress, we, our needs are not met. We've yes. been wronged, there's been injustice, and we take it in for very long till there is a volcanic eruption. Yes. Um, and, and that hurts more, we think. But if, it is, if this volcanic eruption does not happen outside our body, it happens inside our body, which yes. means either we will get sick or we will go to war uh, and fight. Either way, we are destroying ourselves, right? Yes, yes. And once war breaks out, of course, the horrors are unimaginable. You know? So uh, real wisdom requires us to break that pattern and stop this conflict. And if we can resolve the conflict between us and the people we are in a relationship with, and we can live in peace with ourselves and others, then maybe there's you know, a chance. So we've talked about um, anger, Sakshi, and you mentioned it's suppressed and it bursts out and often linked to injustice, right? One community feels or a wife feels, you know, hurt by or husband feels hurt, whatever, in that relationship for a long time, you don't say anything. And maybe this again speaks to the importance of being able to communicate our hurt to each other. So if I felt hurt, I need to be able to say I felt hurt by this and to be able to learn and resolve that. But if we don't communicate, as you say, it just erupts and then the other person just doesn't understand why, hey, I didn't do anything and why have you suddenly erupted, you know, um, and so on. I mean, you That's before that, I, I think we don't even know how to um, talk about our needs. We don't know what we need, or if we know what we need, we don't communicate that. Anger comes later. First, we um, we haven't put our need out, yes. and 
if uh, the other person has been able to put his or her need out and we are meeting those needs, we then, because our needs are not met, we are resentful. Yes, yes. And that's another huge... Give me an example of that, Sakshi. So you see a lot of people in your practice. Oh, uh, I think uh, in marriages, this happens quite a lot. And, and because of patriarchy, especially, a lot of women would um, keep actually being everywhere, taking care of everybody else's needs. And then suddenly they realize middle age has come. At 40 years, they are lost and they are, uh, they suddenly remember that nobody understands them, nobody understands their needs. Because we've, I mean, because of whatever gender inequality, we've not had women speak about their needs. Yes. And because they were never spoken about, they were never met. Yes. But so, you can only take it for some time. So you might take it for 20 years, but it is going to come out. Uh, yes. with a lot of resentment and that's when if the conflicts haven't started in the starting of the marriage a lot of them start in the middle uh, so we all have many emotional needs we're not aware of to be loved understood listened to for physical affection to feel important all of that to feel special we are not aware we have those needs when they're not met we feel hurt we blame the other person for hurting us. We feel resentful. Then that resentment becomes anger, leads to conflict. I withdraw my affection from you because you haven't met my needs. And all this is happening without our awareness, right? It's happening unconsciously. That's what we're saying. And it's just by shining a light and becoming aware of what's happening that gives us um, the opportunity to respond with a deeper intelligence or wisdom. Yeah, and I think also we don't talk very often about it. I think we're going to get to that a little later, but uh, what do you do when, when somebody is hurt or when there is a rupture, for example, in a relationship? Uh, may it be a marriage, may it be uh, a conflict between countries. So there is a rupture. Um, and because of that rupture, there is... A, a lot of distance that's come. Uh, but why does that distance keep growing? Because there's always an option of repair. Something we do very um, instantaneously with in our parenting. So if we've had a rupture with um, uh, a relationship with a child, we are wired uh, to quickly go and repair. But we don't do that with our spouses, we don't do that with our friends sometimes. And I think these ruptures are what have brought all these wars and all these conflicts that we are looking at as well. Yes, yes. Um, because there are examples in history where countries have acted with real wisdom. You know, after the Second World War, America had the Marshall Plan and look where Germany and Japan are now and how those wounds have healed. Who would have imagined after the horrors of the Second World War that Europe would be a place of peace because people acted with wisdom at that time. But the same wisdom is lacking. And you can see that in so many conflicts in the world, right? the history of conflict uh, in South Asia, Middle East, and, and so on. Okay, one more thing that operates in the background without our awareness is our self-interest, which we are not aware of. So we manipulate others to meet our needs emotionally and physically, 
I want you to be like me. I want to subjugate you. And all this is happening again without our own awareness, Sakshi, right? Oh, yeah. I, I think that's the biggest one. Not because we are selfish or that's the only thing that we think of, but that's how I think, again, humans are wired. And we've never probably haven't taught this actively, um, that there is another opinion or there is uh, an interest. It's, it's possible. It's possible to keep your interest um, and, and also um, be mindful and kind uh, and be open to see the other person's interests. Uh, but again, that's not something which we've ever been taught. We would either give in everything and sacrifice, or we would uh, only look at our self-interest. Yes. So Many the human times. mind is wired to look after its self-interest. Oh, yeah. We're not saying it's wrong, but we're just saying become aware of it. And that awareness brings its own intelligence and then allows you to also realize that your self-interest is best served by meeting the interests of the other person you're in a relationship with or a country you're in a relationship with and so on. Yeah, okay. Absolutely, because if you're not peaceful in that relationship, uh, either in that interpersonal relationship or with the country, eventually there's no peace no. and there's no happiness. So even if we are looking just at our own self-interest, it's not going to turn out well. Yes. Um, but again, there's, I think there's more talk and more learning around this. And I always go back to my parenting because I think this is what needs to be taught to our kids very early uh, yes. in their lives. Okay. Right? So we're coming then to the nitty gritty of our talk now. The most important question is how can we use our innate wisdom and this deeper understanding of the root causes of conflict to resolve that conflict in our lives? Because if we can resolve it with each other, then countries can resolve those conflicts and we can prevent it going forward, right? Absolutely. I, I think here we need to start again, uh, Manoj, from understanding our own minds. Yes. We are very oblivious to who we are yes. um, and, and what we want. Uh, or All the what things we've talked about, right? Conditioning, identity, our hurts, our anger, self-interest, etc. Let's say you and I are in, a, in conflict, Sakshi. I think the most important thing I can do to begin is to sit down and listen and understand your hurt right? without justifying my own position, without being defensive. Just allow you to feel deeply understood. Very difficult to do, right, Manoj? This is so difficult to do because we've uh, listening. I feel is is something which we don't do. We are always waiting to answer back. We always when we are um, listening to somebody, we're actually waiting for a turn to uh, speak back and tell our story. And that's again something that we really need to cultivate um, because so many times we don't listen to ourselves. Yes. So if someone's telling me I feel hurt, my immediate first reaction is to be defensive. No, I haven't done anything wrong. Mm. This is, you know, you are wrong. But just the ability to understand why someone's hurting and then see, can I heal your hurt in some way? Can I say sorry? 
Can I give you a hug? Can I, whatever it is I can do to heal your hurt. Sometimes just understanding you heals your own hurt, right? Uh, yeah, and I think uh, another thing that we don't do, Manoj, and we've not learned is emotional validation. If somebody is hurt, uh, we get defensive. We uh, Either we get defensive or we try to help them get out of that hurt really fast. Or we would say, oh, no, it's no, it's no big deal. We will bring in toxic positivity into it. But just sitting with it and emotionally validating a person uh, telling us that they are hurt um, and we don't I mean it's so this is so difficult to do in marriages again it's easier to do with your child uh, but we don't very often do that with our child as well so if our child's come and told us that you know um, he's crying over something really small in our heads the first thing we do is we either shame them or we will tell them oh no it's big no big deal we will never never say, and all we need to say, you know, as, as therapists, we are very trained to say this, but all you need to say is that I get you. I know this is hard for you. Um, I might not understand, but I can, I can see your hurt. Just that one sentence out of your mouth at that time can make all the difference. Yes. It's those couple of seconds, um, when somebody has brought their hurt to us, what we do in that time is a game changer. Yes. So either the other person's going to get defensive and will think that we don't get them or they will be very happy to pour their heart out. And I think emotional validation is... And you've said earlier, or we were talking earlier, how the deepest human need is to feel loved. Oh, yeah. So behind all the hurt we feel, is our need to feel loved and the other person's need to feel loved. So if you don't know what to do in any conflict, whether it's between two people or two groups or two countries, what can you do to be more loving and make the other person feel loved and cared for in some way? And that is what can heal our hurts. And when the hurts are healed, then the conflict resolves itself, right? Oh, yeah. And it just seems so easy. Yes. Uh, when you understand it, it seems easy. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But again, I think emotional validation is something which is very difficult to do. But uh, once we are able to do that and, and a person feels understood, uh, the conflict is, is not there anymore. Because the conflict is because you feel judged, you feel shamed, you feel um, not understood. Yes. Only if you kind of bring that in, yes. Yes. And, of course, we may also be unhappy in ourselves. That's the other thing to begin with. The conflict may be inside us, but we might project it onto the other person. So I came across this story uh, where this lady said, I left my husband because I was unhappy with him after 20 years of marriage. And then I went and had some inner reflection work and I realized actually I was unhappy with myself and just projecting it onto my husband. And then we got back together and we've been fine because I have been working on myself, you see. So many of our conflicts begin because we're not at peace with ourselves, right? 
another big one, uh, Manoj, we also have learned to brush things under the carpet. Yes. We are very, it's very difficult for us to speak about our big emotions or we don't know what to do with other people's big emotions. It's anger, it's all, all the emotions, and there's so many which have been termed negative are just emotions because they've termed negative. Anger is bad, sadness is bad, um, frustration is bad, but they're all uh, part of life. We cannot be happy if we are not sad. And we are going to feel angry if one of our values is being questioned. The problem is that we find it very difficult to sit with another person's big emotions. And, and if we can't be vulnerable uh, with them or we can't take their vulnerability, um, we are only going to you know, get into a bigger conflict over and over again because we're just, we're just doing everything from the top. We're not diving in yes. at all. So the entire Happier Me app and project is around giving people the tools to begin this journey of learning about themselves and what's going on in the hidden corners of your own mind, which is shaping your thoughts and actions without your own awareness. And that understanding can help you resolve the conflicts you feel. Shall we speak briefly, Shlakshi, about how can we be at peace with ourselves? Because unless you're at peace with yourself, your, all your relationships are going to be in conflict and you're going to blame them for the conflict that you see in those relationships. Oh, same thing. I think if we are, if we've not uh, found safety with our relationships, maybe before, and we are holding on trauma, um, which could be again, like discussed earlier, generational trauma, we would remain in a place of flight or fight mode. Uh, which means we are in a survival mode. When we are in a survival mode, we are always trying to um, be in a place where uh, we can save ourselves. There's always a threat in front of us. Uh, and when we work from that space, it's basically our um, emotional brain, which is working all the time. Uh, and peace comes with finding more rationality in us. But when we are in this flight or fight mode, we call it uh, in the psychology language, we call it an, an amygdala hijack, which is the emotional brain hijacking our rational thought. So a prefrontal cortex, which is the rational thought place, gets hijacked by the emotional center or the amygdala. And we remain in that place of fight or flight, which means the trauma which was there maybe in our childhood remains alive till we die or till we are 50, till we haven't done the work. And uh, actually, that's the only way to get to be um, at peace with ourselves. If we've kind of resolved our unresolved issues, we've, we know what is it that we are troubled with, because for sure we are going to be projecting that on other people. Yes, yes. So to be at peace with yourself, first, we need to accept ourselves as we are. The shape of my nose, my job. <laughs> my height, how I look, how much money I have, the car I have, the husband or wife or children I have, however famous or not famous, how ordinary I might be, not to compare. Because as soon as my mind begins to compare, I lose my sense of peace. As soon as I try to be somebody I'm not, 
try to be important, I lose my sense of peace. And as you said, trauma is important. Deal with your own trauma. Let your past go. Forgive people if you need to. You know, that's so important. Because if you are not at peace with yourself, your mind is not able to love another person. If you can't love another person, you can't get any love back. Yeah. And love is your deepest need, you see. So unless you heal your own hurts, you can't love another person, you can't have love in your life. And you will forever feel your life is incomplete in some way. Right? So important to do. And I, I know we say this easily, but the app has lots of resources where all this and more detailed discussions are possible. And you and I and John Lee, and we've had lots of these discussions before. Okay, so I just want to end with, uh, before we open it up to everyone's comments, about the importance of kindness, love, and forgiveness. Shall we speak a little bit about that? Because that's the only thing that can break the cycle of conflict. Right? I, th I think the only thing that can save the world. Um, yes. But it's so difficult to be kind to your spouse in conflict. It is so difficult to be kind to another uh, religious community. Uh, we find it so difficult because, again, I think uh, we are working from that cycle of hurt. Yes. And if we could bring that kindness, and, and it's true. I mean, we, we say, and I speak about this quite a lot in my relationship uh, repair coaching, where I say you, we are so kind to the person on the road. We are kind to the shopkeeper who's given us something. We've, but we are so unkind to our spouse. We think we've got this person who we you know, can say whatever we want to, and there is no filter required. But I think uh, the most important filter of speaking with kindness and, and, and you know, being nice uh, should be reserved for people who we love. And yes. we are the most unkind to them. Because we feel most hurt by them, you see. By them. But our hurt comes from our own thinking. We don't realize that. My expectations come from my own mind, which create the hurt in my own mind when they're not met. See? And it's so, so much easier to not feel so hurt by hurting other people. You distract yes. yourself, right? Yes. Or if you're hurt, you release that hurt and you hurt other people, as you said. Mm -hmm. So I think a few simple questions to carry with you through the day are so important. What can I do to be more kind without any reason? What can I do to break the cycle of hurt and not react? How can I listen deeply to someone else and heal their pain if I can? What gesture can I make to heal their pain? Whether I'm a country or an individual, it doesn't matter. How can I accept that you're different to me and make my peace with that? Different religion, identity. Can I forgive? Who can, how can I forgive you or can I forgive myself and you for what may or may not have happened in the past? And can we sit down and have a conversation, a dialogue around our differences? See? So important. If we carry these questions with an open heart, I think all our conflicts can be resolved. Right? Anything to add to that, Sakshi? 
Yeah, I think you've said it all. Okay. Just need to speak about it more and more and more because I, I, I think we are going to, we, we don't do that enough. No. We don't do that enough. I'm going to take two minutes to just show people around the app that we've developed, which has all the resources to resolve conflict. And then please keep your comments and questions ready. I'm coming back to you in a couple of minutes um, to ask you, what do you think? So the Happier Me app is available for download. It used to be called Human Wisdom. This is it. And you can see here lots of resources as a daily practice. This event will be joining this library of events we have here. So you can browse that uh, at your leisure. There are podcasts, short videos, and so on. These awareness exercises are really useful for someone who doesn't know how to begin this journey of looking and learning about themselves. So please do that. And then of all the things Sakshi and I have been talking about, is this art of inquiry, like how to ask questions. There's a whole module on asking yourself and others the right questions. And modules on conditioning, identity, comparison, emotional needs, all the things that we've talked about, self-interest. And how can we resolve then our deal with depression or anger and so on. So lots of resources here. There's a module on how to live with peace living with peace here. There's a whole module on that, which has much more in-depth discussions about the same subject. Um, okay. So, um, John D, do you want to get the ball rolling and share your wisdom with us about how do we resolve our conflicts and live in peace? Well, there's about five or six episodes in this conversation. <laughs> So I don't even really know which one to begin with, but but I'll try to. What's worked for you, Jandi? What's really what have you found most useful? To understand, it all starts with you. It cannot possibly start elsewhere. It starts with taking a conscious choice to spend the time to ask the questions, and to sit with the answers you come up with, and then to ask again. Is that mine? Is that real? Is that true? Is that bringing me the outcome I'm looking for? And then from that more honest, considered place, I think we go out into the world doing some of the things that, that you are talking about. And obviously the first easy but difficult target is, is those we live with those around us, those we interact with, that kind of relationship. So the practice possibilities are everywhere all around us. And so in my practice, I probably do a lot of uh, noticing when this is most triggered for you, uh, whatever word that you want to use for that. But what's that? How does that come up so often? What is it that I'm feeling? And often it is that hurt or the remembrance of hurt. So therefore the avoidance of hurt. And so we react and, and realizing we're neurologically designed to remember that hurt and not do that again. Um, you know, I, I, I guess it, it all gets back. I'm sorry, it's a circular thing, but it gets back to us first sitting with 
and understanding and asking questions, taking that time. So there's lots here. Yes, yes. So you said something beautiful, Jandi. One is that the cycles of conflict and hurt keep repeating themselves. Mm -hmm. right. So if you find that this has happened before, it's a real opportunity for you to pause and say, what can I learn from this conflict about myself? And as soon as you ask that question, then you start learning about all the things we've talked about uh, in this conversation. And I think the second one for me that's really important is to take ownership of how I feel. Right? So important because my mind is constantly looking to blame somebody else for how I feel, the conflict I feel. Can I take ownership of how I'm feeling and say, what can I learn from what's happening inside me? And that can break the cycle of conflict and resolve things, right? Um, and even if you're not prepared to have the thought, I believe you're right, but even if you're not prepared to have the thought, what can I learn from this? You might be easier to have the thought of, why, why does this keep coming up? Why does this keep happening? This is really interesting. What's that all about? Maybe that's an even easier way to get into the ownership and responsibility for what are, what, how are you involved in that? What role are you playing in that? Yes. Do you want to speak about that, Sakshi, briefly, which is taking ownership, the difficulty of taking ownership and asking, what role am I playing in this conflict? That's not easy to do. That's not easy to do at all. But if we are able to just like, I, I like what John D said, um, it's, it's maybe difficult to realize what we are doing uh, is wrong, but it's easier to um, stop and look at the patterns because if those patterns are repeating, uh, they have to be coming from us. Um, you know, a lot of people um, say that I, I don't have friends and I, I can't make friends or my friends leave me or I, you know, I've had so many boyfriends or girlfriends, but they all leave me. Um, just stopping and, and asking yourself that there's a pattern running here and there's only one person, which it, who's you, is the one, the same person in that pattern. So it yeah. has to be you. It can't be the other person. So just stopping. And, and, and I think, uh, and this is a language a lot of people understand. And it's very simple to take in. I do that a lot in my practices. Okay, you don't know what's happening with you. I just want you to write down uh, the patterns that have been running in your life in the last 20 years. And they don't stop. They write pages and pages and pages. And then it's, so, so it's, it's important that we decode uh, our lives, which we don't, nobody's actually asked us to do that. And we've never done that inquiry that you keep talking about, Manoj. Yes. I, I think that makes a lot of sense, Jandia. Yeah. The secret to that inquiry is to suspend blame. Right? Not to blame somebody else for how you feel, but not to blame yourself either for how you feel. Realize this is what our mind is doing to us. Right? It's the unconscious mind and the way it's wired that it, and it's the same in you and me and every human being. And just being aware of it without judgment that it's right or wrong. Oh, that's what brings freedom. Yeah, and that's very important, Manoj, because 
uh, you're right. It's it could uh, blaming ourselves is again one of the biggest uh, things that we see in uh, people with uh, mental health problems. There's a lot of self blame. There's self sabotaging. So not just blaming the others, but actually having a very difficult internal dialogue, which is forever blaming yourself, is um, a real big one as well. Okay. So you said something beautiful, Jenny, which is when we meet people who are different or cultures who are different or people cultures. who think differently, we can be fascinated by that and curious about that. But instead, we're fearful. Well, I'm not. But, I know, yeah. but I'm saying a lot of people are fearful. Yes, yeah. And because I don't understand you, I'm afraid of you. And I don't, I'm not curious to find out, hey, what is it, you know? Why do you think that way? And of course, if you work with the understanding that deep down we are the same human being, you and I, there's differences are on the surface, but deep down, you know, we're very similar. Jackie, do you have any comments or questions or anything to offer us today? I'm just excited that my friend um, made me aware of this conversation. Uh, it's completely resonating. The work, I've always had an interest in the, you know, psychological. I did a, recently did a um, a certification in mindful organization. I'm in the organization development field. Okay. And my key piece is, is that awareness. Mm -hmm. We have to bring, I, Jenny, I'm right along with you. I've always been very curious. I'm also sensitive to power. And there was something that you said earlier that that leaned into that when you have that power differential. And one of the one of our, I call him our guru, we, our late uh, Dr. Shine asked a question at the end of one of his lectures on, um, at school. He said, how do we help people in power, especially at the top of organizations or wherever, to let go? that that need for that power for that status to let go and let other people up and in and it's it's a conundrum yes. because yes. because i think my observation is the the more you get into that and there's some evidence now that that creates shifts in the brain when you have people who they don't necessarily subjugate other people but other people start acquiescing to them yes and then it becomes a pattern right so one of my uh, interests my fascinations to use jenny's word because i love that word too is how do we elevate followership how do we how do we elevate because leadership is not and i'm starting to speak my own od language but leadership is not um and executives it's not uh it's the word i'm looking for exclusive to being an executive or in authority, right? Leadership is something we can all bring to the table at any moment. It's a set of skills uh, that help us, that can help us be better in conflict too, right? Yes. It's being accountable, responsible, having a sense of integrity, um, all those things. And we often don't see leadership in positions of authority and, and executives. So this all, like, this is, I'm so glad to be here because, um, yeah, the emotional when, uh, I'm sorry, Sakshi, is that your name? Yes. When you said, I get you, I felt that, like, just, like, I, I got a little teary, because even though you don't know me from Adam, I was like, 
she get it, it would it's it's such a beautiful phrase and kind of like the in avatar the i see you kind of thing yes. but i get you i get where you are that so it's just that compassion that we can show people yeah. um that's so beautiful so, but i yeah well maybe uh we'll have a more in-depth conversation jackie but on our app there are lots of leadership related um, um materials so i can share that with you later but just point you made about leaders and our attachment to power you see it comes from our own inner emptiness you know because this power feeds that and makes us feel good inside so if you are at peace with yourself only then can you have the authority without the power then it doesn't matter you see and then you treat everybody, the cleaner and, you know, the president in the same way, because in yourself, you're at peace. But very, very few people are at peace. And particularly those in leadership positions carry with them much more stress and anxiety and fear about what others think of them. And, you know, so it's all this inner work that makes for great leaders and great human beings. You know, it's the same thing, really. Can I ask you, Jackie, your work in organizations and organizational development, how much con interpersonal conflict do you see in organizations and what impact does that have? Funnily enough, it's often repressed because in organizations, that whole emotional component is repressed oftentimes. So it shows up in very interesting ways. Um, but it's it's there and it's not just interpersonal, it's interdepartmental, it's inter yes. intradepartmental. It's you know. Yes. Yes. Um, but it's interesting when you when an organization has the processes to work through those things, they're less. And yes. and that's what we try, that's what we try to get to. We're we're process consultants human process consultants. So how do we bring in things that, that that psychology and sociology and anthropology have given us, uh, the science of those, and even biology in some cases, a lot of our systems thinking is based in biology, um, but how can we bring those processes in? What's interesting to me is there's there needs to be an, uh, a desire for them um, at the right levels and through, you know, throughout the organ, enough people in an organization that want to go there, um, to, to, to have that need to, to be wanted, you know, to, to make, to make it work for the effort to work. I was reading that 85% of employees feel there's interpersonal conflict in some studies. I think there's a British study which says it's about 45%, but whatever it is, it's too much and it drains the productivity. You know, I worked oh, in the hospital uh, as a surgeon for 30 years. You're right, between the surgeons, between different departments, between one hospital and another, you know, one spine society and another spine society. And it just went on and on and on. And there was very little real coming together um, to say, hey, what can we do to really come together, work together? and make something beautiful happen. And uh, yeah. Jandi. I, 
wanted to say to to Jackie that I, I I love the honesty of first you have to desire that you have to truly desire to know that to have that to receive that and I've seen lots of companies install something like that but nobody believes that they're going right. to be safe to be honest and and I think that's because I'm going right back to you, Jackie. I don't know that they believe that you really desire to know what I right. think, or how I feel about that. So I'm not feeling safe enough to share it. Yeah, I want to I want to bounce off that that the um, the safety piece, because there's you know, there's a lot of talk now about creating psychological safety. And I don't think we do that until we are, as we've, as has come up out here, that we are safe inside ourselves. And that's some of the, I've been lucky enough to come upon some personal growth work that is all about that. How do I feel safe within me so that I can feel safe with everyone else? So it, it, I get, I, being honest and self-aware, I get a little irked at the create psychological safety for everyone because you, you, and I've, and I've, and I've put it out there. I said, well, what about, how about we learn how to feel safe within ourselves? And I've heard Brene Brown talk about the belonging. How do we belong to ourselves? And when we're in that space, we can be there for other people. We could, like, I think you were saying earlier, Minaj or someone about when we can love ourselves, we can love other people. We're in a space, a good space, then we can give that to others more readily. I think love is acceptance. A big part mm. is acceptance. Accepting ourselves, accepting others, accepting differences, <laughs> accepting other people yeah. are hurt. You know, I may not understand why, but I can, you know, try and heal that in some way and address that. And so on. Okay. Even if I don't understand it, I can accept even it. If I don't understand, even if I don't agree with it. You see, that's, right. the, that's the key. Yeah. Just out of compassion, you're hurting. I may not agree that it's justified, but what can I do to heal that or help heal that? That's compassion. Uh, Sakshi. Uh, I think the psychological safety uh, that we're talking about comes from uh, how we've been brought up. If we've been seen, heard, um, understood as children, we are going to feel safe in ourselves. The problem is that there's so many people out there, and I'm a parenting coach as well. Um, the hurt that we saw in ch as a childhood trauma where we were not seen makes it very difficult for us to bring this acceptance when we've grown. Because we, when we were young, we needed people to tend to our needs. We couldn't do it ourselves. Our emotional needs were supposed to be uh, fulfilled by our parents or the caregivers and if they couldn't do it to us then we find it very difficult to do it for for ourselves later so I think if you want to bring peace we should just go and love our families our children enough uh, give them that safety so they grow up uh, as people who love themselves and then they then there would be no external validation really required uh, a lot of places the conflict will not be you know, enough to bring the wars in. And, and I, I feel very, very strongly about it. I and mean, when you work with parents and children, um, I think it starts there. Having said all that, Sakshi, which is absolutely true, I think it's also important to realize that if you have suffered trauma, if you have had a difficult 
past, whatever it might be. You can go on an inner journey of learning about yourself and your own mind and healing. That understanding brings its own healing. It's the lack of understanding that keeps the hurts alive, right? Jackie. Oh, I was putting my hand up that that's, that's me. I didn't, I didn't start off well. It wasn't the worst, but it wasn't the best. And I completely resonate, completely re resonates with me, Sakshi. I love the, the, you know, if you can listen to your children, that's something that was, there was some meme somewhere that just said, if, if you listen to the little things, you'll get to listen to the big things. And I put that into practice with my girls as much as I could. And, and I like to believe it made a huge difference. It broke in the generational yes. aspect, which is yes. amazing. And I guess that's what we are doing with the app. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. Okay. But we can do the work. It uh, doesn't matter where we are coming from. But I think that's why these resources and these conversations are so important because there's always a way out. We just don't know how. And which is why I guess happier me makes sense to me a lot. Work. Yeah, it's work. <laughs> Just realizing that my past, I don't remember everything in my past. Why am I remembering that one thing? You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Right? So many things I've forgotten, but why am I remembering this one thing you said 20 years ago? Whatever. Why can't I let it go? And as soon as you realize that's not serving you, and you see that really clearly, that the conditioning has happened without your permission or your awareness, and it's not serving you right now, you can be free. It's just understanding brings change. Okay. And it's our way of bringing some peace to a really troubled world. You know? um, thank you. Have a good weekend. This podcast comes to you from the Human Wisdom Project and the Happier Me Self-Awareness app. To find out more, please download the Happier Me app or visit happierme.app. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.